Hello and welcome to You Made Me Watch That, where two film studies professors aim to expand each other's cinematic knowledge one recommendation at a time. I am your co-host, Wickham Flanagan. And I am your co-host, Colleen Kennedy-Carpot. This episode, we are in our mother's basement. <laughs> um, we apologize. Proverbially speaking. <laughs> yes, we have been uh, given this room because we have no other room to work in. We were clamoring to get a podcast episode out, but we apologize for any reverb, which you are no doubt hearing right now. Yes, we, we've turned into itinerant podcasters um, because we dare to try to accomplish things in August on a college campus. Where everyone's so paying the price. Building, building buildings, apparently. Uh, yeah, so, um, well, we look forward to what this place will look like in a couple weeks anyway, don't we? Like yeah, them? just everyone will have different windows, I think. But really, it's a perfect uh, it's a perfect place to get through our summer 2022 rundown. Um, yeah. And talk so, about the stuff that we've been seeing. So we don't really have... Well... We, we have a couple of specific recommendations. Yes, but there's not necessarily a thematic underpinning no. except they came out over the summer. Summer. Summer Ketchup. Yes. Um, and one of those is a movie that we both watched, unbeknownst to the other, uh, Top Gun Maverick. Well, how would you not watch this movie this summer if you're into movies? This is the impression that I got. I mean, I went home to the States for a month, and this, even my, my family is not a real cinephile kind of family, like I know yours is, but everyone had seen Top Gun. And yeah. the ones who had, did you see Top Gun? Did you see Top Gun? Did you see Top Gun? And it was really, that that was the thing. It was the big event. And it's been a really long time, I think, since we've had a big yes. event movie that really pulls everybody in. Um, and everybody meaning not just Marvel people, right. I would say. <laughs> that this is a temple. It is a legacy production. Um, I will admit right off the bat, I have still not seen um, the 1980s Top Gun, yes. um, which admitting this to friends of mine who I was friends with in the 1980s, their reaction was, how have you not seen It's a very the first 80s Top Gun? movie. I, you, yeah. Um, and it's so terrible. Colin. I have no answer to the question of how I managed to miss it, other than I just don't really like Tom Cruise, which I know you and he's I have not, discussed. He's not the worst. That movie is just very, very lame in, in a lot of ways. It's not a, it's not a terribly made movie, but it, it ideologically it has the whole kind of military propaganda thing going on. Oh well, and the sequel is no different. For the sequel tones dive it right down in. a Does little it? bit, a little bit um, tones it down. Yes, uh, toned down, toned <laughs> really? down really a little bit. I mean, I, it's been a while since I've seen the original, but all I can remember is. It, everything is is cliched and heightened and just kind of lame and it, it has all these moments that are embedded in pop culture like um you you can be my wingman anytime and, and but the only pleasure i got from it was the kind of unintentional homoeroticism of it which uh is just kind of kind of fun but other than that like there's a romantic subplot that's really kind of not very well executed, and that's true for the sequel to a certain extent as no. well. Um, but I find interesting about the Top Gun Maverick is that it's like a it's like a championing of not independent cinema, but like original cinema. That this movie could kind of blow up the way it did, but it's still a legacy. It is sequel, <laughs> um, but yeah. it's still funny how it feels somewhat fresher than Thor. For. Yeah, exactly. It's just because it's not Marvel. Suddenly, yes. it's the, the emblem way, I, of. I saw Thor four. Uh, 
Okay. It's 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 really bad. Thor okay. 4 makes me appreciate a lot of other movies because of how bad it was. <laughs> um but anyway, that's a different story. We well, don't, none of us made each other watch that. That was all on me. Yeah, the culture made us watch Top Gun. Yes. But I have to say, um, we we might talk a little bit more about the ideology of both of these films. But I mean, you might poo-poo it and and say that it was you know too heightened and whatever. It worked in the eighties. My uncle. Yes. My uncle was a pilot in the army. As that was his career. He yeah. Was, yeah. He was a military guy for the army. Not um, I guess what. The, the top gun is the, the Navy slash Marines, I think. But what he said is he talked to a guy who worked at Top Gun and they, he, they ended up changing the name of the Top Gun school because they had a surfeit of recruits in the wake of the first Top Gun movie. And they are probably bracing themselves for something similar in the wake <laughs> of the sequel. It yes. wouldn't surprise me at all to learn that recruitment numbers go through the roof. I think I mean, I, it was really, to me, it was really imperialist propaganda. <laughs> like, just yes. cranked up to 11, not even apologizing for it. What I found really interesting about the sequel is how thoroughly they dodged the need to name the enemy. Yes. They are simply an enemy. enemy. And There's someplace cold. Someplace cold <laughs> and, and a mountain. Yes. And good thing there's only like one range of mountains in the entire world. It just, it, yeah, all of it was just sort of, you know, it's really that, not. It's that enemy that's in the mountains that has a uranium deposit For in, some a, in the middle of a valley yeah. randomly. And also they have control over a defunct air airfield. Oh, yeah, yeah. With, with a old, bunch of jets. With yeah. a bunch of, of, yes, equally defunct jets. Um, it just, yeah, I mean, that part of it is so set up in order for the plot to carry out in the way that it does. So here's what I'll say about Top Gun Maverick. I, so I did watch the first Top Gun, to be clear, in a politics and film class. Ah. So that was underpinning the whole experience. It right. was a great class, but I watched that and Pretty Woman and Avatar. And I, Avatar is the best of those three, and I really hated Pretty Woman and Top Gun. Um, but in the context of the class, it was interesting to discuss. Mm -hmm. um, but Top Gun Maverick, I was watching this movie, and I was like, okay, this is technically pretty good. Tom Cruise is, is trying. <laughs> but He's I, a very trying actor. He's, he very much, he tries very, very hard. But um, He wants be, you to know it, too. We, we haven't done a Tom Cruise episode yet, uh, and we're, we're gearing up for it. That's going to be our 50-episode spectacular. Your pun for, for today, isn't it? What? We're gearing up for our Tom Cruise. Oh, my Cruise. God. Yeah, that was totally intentional. Oh, I um, no, I uh, I really like those Mission Impossible movies. Mm -hmm. I really like them. Uh, four, five, and six are such a like a beacon of quality. Have you ever watched any of those? I have seen. I couldn't give you numbers, but I have seen Mission Impossibles okay. multiple. Yes. The the level of quality control of a fourth and fifth and sixth installment of a franchise is quite impeccable. Um. And I, I'm always impressed. I'm like, this is really good. And, and, and everyone, you know, hates on Tom Cruise. And he's a little weird, to put it mildly. Um, he has supporters. He has supporters. Yeah. And he seems like a very nice guy, I think, on set. Okay. Well, in, unless he's upset that someone's not taking COVID precautions. But uh, other than that, um, which maybe is a rightful thing. But um, that's a whole other topic. But he uh, he commits as a performer. Oh, uh, Live, Die, Repeat. It's pretty good, too. Did you ever see that? As Groundhog Day. Meets. Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow. They yeah. weirdly changed the title. They cause, did? Because it bombed. Yeah. When? 
Did they I change the I think title? when the DVD came out. Really? I don't know why. Edge huh. of Tomorrow was the name, I think, of the anime that it was somewhat loosely based on. Oh, I didn't realize that was a it sort was, of an I adapted property. adaptation, yeah. Huh. Anyway. Yeah, it is Action Groundhog Day, basically. Action Groundhog And it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for, for that pitch, it's pretty good. But um, I, uh, I, I thought Top Gun Maverick, I was like, why is everyone going crazy for this movie? Like, it, it's mm-hmm. a bit of 80s nostalgia. You yeah. got the opening oh, a with bit. the... A bit? Have you heard the Lady Gaga song? Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> no, I, we left the theater immediately. Ah, uh, uh, that's... Mm. It, looked, it sounded okay. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that there. We're I tabling like, that discussion. We will come back to Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga's... Uh, uh, accompaniment to Top Gun Maverick? That's something you really want to talk about? She's the only one who understands what to resurrect about 80s nostalgia, Uh, I think, in music. I need to listen to it isolated um, from the movie, I think. But I was just sort of like, whatever, initially. Uh, Jennifer Connelly shows up in the movie, and she is a hot lady, and then they have no chemistry at all. None. Zero. And, and And then... Val Kilmer shows up, and you're oh. like, oh, that's sad. And Oh, can we talk about that for a second? Sure. This movie really did Val Kilmer wrong. It was so wonderful to see him. Yeah. And, and it, I, which I, I read nothing about this before going. I was invited by a friend, and, you know, okay, fine. Again, you sort of sense that this is going to be the big thing this summer. And I'm glad that I saw it, but you know, going in for Val Kilmer, I, I I'd not really kind of you know, grokked that he was in the first one. Like, oh, of course. He's, He's Iceman. Fir- yeah. Yes. Okay. And so there he is in this one. And, and of course, you're knowing that Val Kilmer is, has been ill for many yes. years. And, and, you know, and the fact that they put him in there and gave him this role is, is something. But then let's not discuss what happens to him in the film. They kind of did him dirty. Yeah, and, I don't and, understand. And plus, they're, they're, they were supposed to be peers. And they dress him up, Val Kilmer, as like this, this you know, aged gentleman veteran he's got yeah. an ascot for both practical and costuming purposes but just you know he and his wife are clearly of this you know this this older generation and tom cruise is supposed to be his peer right. and shows up like he's a young upstart yeah, yeah the perennial young upstart and just to, to have them interact on the same level when they're, they've been characterized at such different levels is really hard to... I've seen Val Kilmer done more dirty, though. Oh, I'm, oh, I'm sure. Um, and it's sad. He did come out with a recent documentary called Val, which I, I hear is very, very that. good. I've heard it, too. I haven't seen it, but um, I'd like to. There is a really, really great, terrible movie uh, called The Snowman. Ah, and Val yes. Kilmer, and one of the sadder, it, it's, it's You've talked about technically this. bad. Val yes. Kilmer is in that. Is in this one. Okay. And they crudely, they do shot reverse shot of him talking and they never show him talking. They just dub over his voice. Ooh. And he's like, it, it's like, it's really, I mean, my point is, is that Val Kilmer emerged sort of his performance kind of came through a little bit in this. Yes. Whereas in that they just completely butchered him. Yeah. Uh, um, it was yeah. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang his last like fun role movie like where he's really charismatic and he kind of steals it? Uh, that's possible, but that was a long time I ago. I know, I know. I couldn't think of anything else. Uh, we'd have to we'd have to dig into IMDb to do the deep dive. But yeah, it is nice that they met him where he is. He's in MacGruber, in life in order to put him into this film. Yes, but the plot lets him down. Yeah, the, yeah. Unnecessarily, so they can I have think a dramatic exactly. So second they have, act yeah, exactly. uh, 
low point. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. But then, um, after these kind of weird nods to the original, and I have no nostalgia for the original very much. Uh, It was a fun politics and film class, but that's the level of my nostalgia. Um, Goose dying was one of the one kind of somewhat successful emotional beats because they show it in this one. He... It's a very gruesome death. He mm-hmm. tries to eject her seat into the plane, and you're like, ugh. Yeah. Um, it's just a, that one bit was pretty effective in the original. And so they try to ride that with the sun in this one. But I was thinking to myself, I was like, why is everyone going crazy for this? Is it just the third act? Is it really just going to be this oh, the flight, final? The flight sequences? At the very end. But yeah. there wasn't that much initially flight sequences. They're no. flying around, and it's kind of ho-hum. It's, you know, they're chatting and doing whatever and I was just sort of like waiting for the moment and it for me at least Colleen the the third act is incredible in this movie okay it is so so good as an action movie fan they really and it and what it occurred to me is that he's just stealing for Mission Impossible there's (laughs) an impossible mission yeah and they they set it up they have a timetable that timetable has to be cut in half and no one knows what they're doing, and there's all these dangers, and there's all these different levels of danger to it, sort of like a video game almost, mm-hmm. right? You have to do yeah. this thing, and then do this thing, this thing, and that's very mm-hmm. Mission Impossible. Um, and then just the way it's executed, it's just like pitch perfect. There's a, and I'm going to say something that will, you know, really incite someone probably. The chaos. There's a bit when without going too much into de- detail for the third act, because it's really worth seeing on the biggest screen, all the practical flying and um, everyone looking very uncomfortable and the anxiety of it is really great. My prediction, Oscar winner for sound design. Yes. Excellent, excellent sound design. Excellent editing. And the editing specifically, when they get, when they're on the tail end of their mission and then all these rockets start being shot at them, you have the people in the back calling out where the rockets are and then you have the other people hitting the flares. Mm Mm-hmm. I have never been so amazed at just like the organized chaos of that editing since I think the psycho shower scene. Ooh. I know it's a bit crazy, but the fact that I did not know really what was going on, but I knew exactly what was going on. Just everyone screaming at each other and the missiles hitting various things. It just, I was, I was so, um, it was so thrilling in that moment because of the technical aspects of it. Yeah. It is a technically superlative Hollywood product. Yes. But specifically, seemingly, in that final... Basically, when anything goes wrong when they're flying, which happens mostly in that third act. Mm -hmm. And then, Colleen, I'm going to admit something to you. Uh Uh-oh. I cried. (gasps) And and my wife cried next to me, and we both hated ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) When when, well, when they have full circle. when they have their emotional moment in the <laughs> wilds of the enemy or whatever, without talking too specifically, I just was like, oh, they got me. So even like the emotional yeah. beats paid off pretty well for me. Yep. So I I wouldn't say I liked most of the movie, mm-hmm. or I was okay with most of the movie, but I really, really enjoyed that that impossible mission yeah. at the end. It was very technically well done. See, I, I hated myself for basically paying 60 lira for the extra deluxe seats to watch mil- American military propaganda while living in the Turkish capital. I mean, the irony of all of this is not lost on me. But um, 
Yeah. So do you, can you get on board for just like well-executed action sequences? That is something that I've always been kind of partial to. I can forgive I, a movie for a lot. Oh, I, well, I mean, you see, John talking Wick, about forgive, yeah. well, yes. Well, those are pretty good movies John, anyway. John Wick, but. yeah. I have a soft spot for John Wick. There's the Keanu Reeves thing. That's, that's the Keanu Reeves thing and just, and, and the world building that goes on there is, is deliberately fantastic. And I think that's the thing that gets papered over by this kind of ideology. The ideology yeah. wants to paper over the fantastic elements of something like this action film that, this is not really what flying is like <laughs> to a lot, to a great extent. Um, and anyway, it's, yeah, I mean, in terms of the structure of the film, the, the action sequence is extraordinarily well done. There's nothing I can say against this. I totally agree with you. Sucks you in. You're yeah. on that. You're, you're in those planes yes. with them for that entire sequence. What is it for? <laughs> I yes. always keep coming back to what is this yes. for? I think, and that that that's where it loses me, and it had no chance to win me, to be honest. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah for, for the movie that it is for. Yeah, I, I don't. I agree that I don't think it necessarily transcends it, but I I can appreciate something that I have really never seen before in a movie, mm. which is this kind of uh, incredible mix of practical and CGI effects and just, yeah, the technical aspects of it all kind of coming together. So even whilst it's in a movie that I don't necessarily care about, uh, isolated on its own terms, I think it's, it's kind of worth the price of admission. 60 lira. (laughs) Yeah. In the theater. Yeah. 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 If you don't mind Tom Cruise and you're, if you like planes, which you're a big, you love planes, right, Colleen? What? This is something we discovered. No, I don't, no. I don't know. Sorry. No. We, you know, Tom Cruise is a professional actor man, and uh, I look forward to seeing his latest uh, midlife crisis vehicle, yeah. uh, Mission Impossible. I hope Jennifer Connelly finds happiness with yeah, she's someone else <laughs> instead of Paul Bettany. I uh, know. Well, I mean, someone else in the world of Top Gun, because. Oh. Yeah, she she's not in the original. She's not. She's even not. No, but she like she comes into this movie and it's established that they had history at some point, which it's like if they hadn't established, I just oh. At least it, she's somewhat age appropriate. She is age appropriate, but like you said, like she is unbelievably sexy in this movie, and yet I don't believe for a second <laughs> that he is attracted to her. Not for even the, and she's just sort of like camping it up for him somehow. It's just, it's, yeah, it's it's shocking how unbelievable <laughs> it actually is because on paper this should work and it just, but it's the same thing like you brought up Edge of Tomorrow or whatever the live yeah, die yeah. repeat whatever they're calling it now. It's the same problem. Yes, but it's at least in, at least problem. in that movie they just they have like a bond of like we need to survive together. The the romance is not pushed to a certain point. If you remember, I, yeah. I think they kiss at the very, very end, and you're kind of like, like yeah, eh. nah. But they're they don't have like a will they, won't they? She, they're just trying to survive together. So I it guess makes but, a little bit more but it, sense. I, I would imagine they wrote it with that in mind. Like it could be a will they, won't they? And then they're like, well, we can't. I was we like, can't we can't pull this off. <laughs> Tom Cruise took the role. We can't possibly. <laughs> and they're doing like Mission Impossible. I want to say like his wife was thought to have died, but then yes. comes back. But yeah. then. Rebecca Ferguson is there. He does longing yeah. really well. And you're right to point out this sort of you know, homoerotic sport thing on the beach, which comes from the first movie, is repeated yes. in this one. And 
the longing is what we see with him. And, and, it's not know, just that beach scene, by the way, or no, the volleyball I, in the original. No, it's, I mean, he's sprinkled clearly, all throughout that it, movie. It, it is, but, but I mean, that's really the beach scene where he just sort of lets the young ones do their football on the beach, as he probably should. I mean, that's a very realistic sort of, you know, generation gap that he's acknowledging. Yes. But he, just, he sits there, you know, and, and enjoys the beach and is obviously thinking on other things. And like that, I think, has a sort of romance to it um, that is, you know, yeah. bigger than sexy time. It's just, you know, that it, yeah. that's nostalgia writ large. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was played very convincingly, but yeah, he doesn't need... Just d d Tom Cruise minus the romance, guys. Yeah. Write, stop writing the romance plots into Tom Cruise movies. I think they have. I, they should. I mean, if they haven't, I guess not yeah. with this one. Now that just or just that. yeah, like it's the possibly dead wife or something. Just you know, leave it, leave yeah. it off screen. He just needs to fly helicopters. Leave it off screen. Yeah, yeah. The Sorry, romance Tom. is with you. Don't care the what engines. we say, but um, no, no. Because honestly, I think his best performances are the ones where that's not even an issue. Yeah. Um, yeah. His his bit part in Tropic Thunder. Yeah, there's for a lot Latin. of romantic tension in that. Yeah. Not in his role, but <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, Top Gun Maverick. So Top Gun Maverick. Uh, I recommend it, but you are more tentative. That's. I mean, it's a recommendation for a film like that is superfluous. You are either going to be, you know, really like you are either going to be like carted off almost against your will to the f movies <laughs> to see it, or you won't. And Jesus. you know what? If what no, sort of totalitarian <laughs> world do we live in? It's just well. Everyone uh, must watch Top no, Gun Maverick. It's, it's, um, yeah. But that's kind of it. Like, if you want to do a summer movie and Marvel doesn't light your fire. It, it won't this summer, well, let me tell you. I mean, maybe they're still going to try. Maybe you like Chris Hemsworth a bunch and you want to what, watch or, him. Or whatever. You know, you're a Taika Waititi completist. Do those Bless exist? You. Do those exist? Probably. <laughs> but I, I'm just saying it's it's this is the kind of film that that you and much like the first one you will just sort of end up watching it whether you intend to or not and that's why it's so surprising to you know my friends like, how have you not seen the first Top Gun well yeah because it's not a film you sit down to watch it's just it's with you and right. this film is going to be with us right culturally for a while so if you want to keep up with the culture go watch it when um, you put it that way. Realize what you're watching. I really hate it now. Well, It'll see, be with me. You're such a contrarian. Always. <laughs> It'll well, be with me. So um, will Val Kilmer. Thanks in poor part Val this Kilmer. Movie. If you like good action, it has some good action. That's my yeah, there you assessment. Go. Um, we, we also did a mini You Made Me Watch That uh, a bit to this because neither one of us would recommend on our own accord Top Gun Maverick. We were both just kind of curious because it was getting so many rave reviews. Yes. But I was always championing a little movie called Men, spelled M-E-N, uh, before it came out uh, because I'm into weird psychological surreal horror things. Um, and I was saying, hey, uh, Colleen, you should watch this. And... Uh, you watched it, and then you, you countered with... Why did you make me watch this? Well, you countered with another movie. <laughs> I said, well, if we're doing recommendations, I will recommend The Sea Beast. Okay, which is very, very dissimilar to men it, in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, they're not at all the same. The Sea Beast is a Netflix original animated movie that uh, was released this summer. Um, and I, watched, I watched it with my kids, uh, not intently. Atlas was a little scared. 
Yeah, it's it's got some C action. Mine are a little older yes. uh, than than Atlas. They are eight and five, um, and I think they were you know pleasantly rattled by some of the action, but it's not anything that they could yeah. take. And it's not overly violent. No. Uh, it's just violent adjacent. It's a lot of yeah. like, oh, this could be very violent, but it's not. Yeah. Um, I enjoyed, let's talk about the Sea Beast first. Okay. I enjoyed the Sea Beast, mm-hmm. but I couldn't help but see it as being an amalgam. I can't watch movies normally anymore. I, I share that problem. <laughs> and I couldn't help but see that it was just an, a very well-executed amalgamation of a ton of other animated stories. Okay. It's How to Train Your Dragon yes. meets The Iron Giant meets Moana meets Pirates of the Caribbean. The director is the same guy who did Moana, I believe. Oh. So the Moana ties are, are very organic, yes. And it was beautiful. Uh, it's very, very nice textures. Uh, yes. I don't know about the character design specifically, but like right. the textures on the sand and the yes. the clothes and the hair. Mm-hmm. Um, they've really stepped up their and CGI And the boat tech. is really, yes. yeah. The, the way that they did like the boat and sort of the accessories to the seafaring element of the plot was really compellingly done. Yeah, and, and, and I think, you know, it has been long enough since there's been a good Pirates of the Caribbean movie, since the first one. Since the fact. first one. When was that? Like oh. 20 years ago, just about. It's that been is, a long time. It's a very, I can't wait to show Atlas Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, but that first one was oh, so good. so good. Um, and in a fun, you know, rip-roaring sort of way. Yep. Um, and so it was nice to see kind of a well-executed piratey movie. Yeah. But I couldn't help. So have you seen The Iron Giant? No, I have not. That's Brad Bird, isn't it? Yes, who also directed a Mission Impossible film. Oh. There you go. Mission Impossible 4. And he did The Incredibles too, right? He did The Incredibles. Yes. Um, and The Iron Giant also feels like an amalgamation. It's sort of E.T. mixed with a bunch of other stuff. Um, but The Iron Giant really... I don't know. It sells it. I watched it while on painkillers, nursing a broken leg, eating macaroni and cheese. So I feel like what the iron giant. Yes. So I feel like that clouded. I was like 12. I feel like that clouded my judgment. Have you seen it since then? Yes. It is one of my all time favorite movies. Partially because of when I I was going to say, you're sure that's not the drugs talking, (laughs) but I love it. It's it makes me, I I need to stop talking about how much I cry watching movies, but it, it made me, it makes me cry every single time. Never because... stop talking about crying during <laughs> movies, Wickham. But my point is, when I see a movie that is sort of a, a not a pale imitation, but is using the same kind of template of the kid saying, no, don't fight. Be the better person, giant thing. And I, and I think <laughs> of the Iron Giant, how it's executed there, and I see it, how it's executed here. I'm like, yeah. And then I kind of, it doesn't really stick with me. I think I appreciated a lot of the voice performances. Um, yeah, Jared Harris. Yes, Jared Harris is committed. He brings it. He's, he's he really, more, he's yeah. He's more committed than a lot of, and Carl Urban does a pretty good job yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. Um, they did not have to go so hard. You're right. The voice performances really sell it. Yes. Um, and the writing in general is good. I, yeah. I think I think just, um, yeah, it was like a well-executed thing. There was the nice sort of nod to like rewriting history this yes i mean we'll get to the this is what i wanted to emphasize this mechanism by which the girl in this case says stop fighting we we, we need to stop this endless war um the mechanism is the message of the histories that we've been given are wrong right which, and they're given by the monarchy. And it's given by the monarchy who in order to maintain their power has to keep perpetuating this war and i mean 
it seems rather thunderingly obvious and it's it's sold just that baldly in yes. the dialogue but i think that is the spin that we have not seen yes it it does it does feel like somewhat tacked on to a certain extent or at the very least when it's presented as just a scene of her going through books and then suddenly she's like i have another thing to say yeah but the, but the books are yeah. in there from the beginning i mean she carries books right we, but, but they're, they're shown in, yes the real yes kind of it, all it, at once well yeah i mean real that's the definition of a realization <laughs> i mean i don't think there's such a thing as a slow realization they, they plant the evidence and it comes up yeah. multiple times in the yeah. film and you know she has you know her she lost her parents to to fighting one side of this war and so on and so forth, and yeah I mean the beast is just sort of perfunctory at that point but um, anyway I guess it's there to illustrate this point. Um, anyway I again if if we're looking at Top Gun from an ideological standpoint yes. I think the ideology that that the sea beast is going for yes. very explicitly especially in its ending is much more appealing. Yes. Um, again, sort of presented, it, it sort of toes a line that I think is sort of obvious <laughs> what the line is. And they, yes. they, you know, you know, you can read the allegories into different things for your own purposes, um, depending on, you know, how you're seeing this, which, you know, where, where you're coming from with it. But anyways, it, it I thought that was an, an original spin. I thought it was well done. I thought it was introduced into the movie enough that it didn't feel like some no, big no. sudden reveal. But it did feel like this is the point we're making. Here it is. Well, yeah, and yeah. I, I, but I think that's nice that for is children. the point. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, it's a very important point to make for anybody, but especially yeah, yeah. I think for kids. Like, yeah, okay, yeah. we have these stories. I mean, it's like basically saying outright what a lot of you know the Disney rewrites of fairy tales Does how to are train giving. Your... You know, implicitly. Does How to Train Your Dragon deal with that at all? I, I haven't seen it that is, It is through. a sort of like, let's not fight dragons, let's be friends with them. But there's not a book kind of history thing? Not really. Okay. I mean, the, the lead character, um, whose name I'm blanking on at the moment, he writes the book based on his experience. Okay. So he's sort of, you know, an archivist kind of by nature and a scientist and all those kinds of other things. But I think, I, I don't think that he stumbles on like a trove of information that is passed down to okay, him. Okay. It's it's simply the war has always been there and so on. I, I think it just getting to the mechanism of how has a war that is so nonsensical, how can it be perpetuated in a culture? And the answer is, well, you know, these are the narratives that were given and it's the narratives that are based on false premises. Like that, yeah, just making that clear and plain. What happened to the witch lady? Which just now which, occurred to me. There's like an industrial witch lady in a creepy yellow island who gives him something and says, I will take whatever, I will take so much from you after this scene. And then she vanishes from the movie. Sorry. Oh. I like witches. I was happy with her introduction. <laughs> She's like a steampunk industrial witch who has a giant spear filled with poison just in her garage. Because why wouldn't you really in this world? But what she never she know she doesn't say she says you will reap your what you sow. Okay. She doesn't do any sowing of reap. What? <laughs> she, she doesn't do anything. Sorry, that's a bit of a hanging thread. Anyway, they had to cut something, I guess. Sequel. Oh, the witch lady comes back. Maybe I don't know. She has a sea. Beast. I don't know. I have no idea. It's I mean, this is a Netflix film, so it's hard to tell how yeah. it's doing. 
I, I, it's, I, you can imagine the, it could end up getting a sequel. This is one of the things I like about Netflix. Is it's, It comes out with a lot of random stuff, uh, mm -hmm. and some of it's bad. But then occasionally you get something like this where you're like, wow, they... Yeah made this in it they made it properly and maybe it is to me a little bit too much of an amalgamation of other things but it's well made it's well storyboarded it's well voice acted mm -hmm. and it's engaging so i i think for for that and for this slight wrinkle that is important sort of messaging um i think you're right in that it's it's worth watching especially mm -hmm. for for kids yeah um and then maybe they can move on to the iron giant um well there you go you should show the iron giant to your children Okay. It it is kind of I mean, I don't know, maybe it's a little older, maybe it maybe it doesn't hold together as well. I don't know, but it is one of my all-time favorite movies. I have posters of it on my office mm -hmm. wall. So, I have seen them. So, I'm a big advocate. Um So, Sea Beast, two thumbs up. Uh a thumb and a half. Thumb and a uh, half. That oh, was bitten okay. off by a sea beast. Oh. <laughs> Not anything to go to war over, though. No. You have another thumb. No, Jared Harris should do like audiobooks or oh, something. Oh, man. Yeah, I'd listen to that. <laughs> he's so intense. He should read Moby Dick. Yeah. He's in a, he's in a boat show. He is. Because that's a genre called The Terror, where he's, that's the one where they're on a boat and there's a monster in the icy that's tundra. That's not below decks. <laughs> I'm thinking of a totally different no, the kind terror. of boat show. And he's like a grumpy, like first mate and he's saying we're all gonna die oh, um, lovely so, so he was he's well cast as that okay more 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 jared harris in movies um jared harris is that right yeah okay so mm -hmm. jared harris is not featured in a movie that i recommended to you uh or i didn't recommend it i said you should watch it and that we should talk about it you pinned my arm behind my back and clicked play <laughs> i i merely put it up on the screen <laughs> And it's called... It's, I'm, I'm picturing the sequence from um, Clockwork Orange. <laughs> no. You picture me with an apparatus no, on my face. You, you didn't have to watch it. Uh, mm. I just thought it was interesting. Alex Garland's Men. Yeah. What did you think of Men, Colleen? I, I'm... I, I, uh, <laughs> I so, don't want to keep thinking about men, <laughs> so, to be honest. Well, no, it was nice to I, kind of I talk. With, so full yeah. disclosure, we've talked about this movie before this podcast. Yeah. So we've cheated considerably. But I really wanted to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And what we ended up with is Southland Tales. So I want <laughs> yeah, us to... Yeah, real Richard Kelly vibes. I did get that a lot. So we need to go, get from men to Southland Tales. No, we, 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 we don't. And, I, the, the comparison I wanted to make is that you do, like, like you said, like this is his third film, Alex Garland's yes. third film. And he's thinking of quitting directing after this. Apparently, part. yes. And I don't... Okay. I mean, it's not that his direction is bad. I have to say, like, there are definite choices being made. There's an aesthetic here. I mean, there is. Quite there are a bit... choices being made. Yeah. Yes. There, there is something. There are things going for this film, but I don't know where they're going. Exactly. And, and the more I think about it, the less I'm convinced we did, need to go there. Did you read the Boardwell piece on it? I did read the board. Yes, David Boardwell, um, film historian and critic, did write up a piece on men for DavidBoardwell.net. And so he was he just sort like of to... like, what, what is all the fuss about? It makes total sense. It's fine. Yeah, that, that was basically <laughs> it. I mean, it's the Bordwellian equivalent of a shrug, and it's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, he, uh, he admitted to learning some of the mythological underpinnings, yes. which um, I was surprised so, at. So, premise of men. Yeah, okay, yes. Let's start with a uh, basic Adam and plot Eve, rundown. Uh... It's, no, God. <laughs> no, no, no. You're... Woman, Harper, 
played by Jesse Buckley. Yes. Fan favorite, Jesse Buckley. <laughs> Wickham's favorite. Who's Jessie a, who escaped from England and then well, she didn't know. She's isn't she still in England? No, she's on the boat. What? I was I was making a taboo reference. Um anyway. She's in Taboo. Yes. She's on the boat. Yes. They're going to the New World. That no, was let's, the. Let's not confuse things. <laughs> she's also escaped from someone's fantasy of a, a girlfriend, and I'm thinking of ending things. Should I not make references no. to other movies that just? <laughs> we're we're talking about men. Let's let's let her have a regular career. There's please. an expanded Jesse Buckley cinematic universe that I think we should acknowledge. Anyway, she is going to a dreamlike. Uh, a country home in was it like called Cockton or something? It has a very sort of Freudian name. It, it's not literally that explicit, but it's something <laughs> like that. And she goes to the home and she's trying to kind of deal with this traumatic experience that she had with her ex-husband, uh, who is a manipulative, uh, terrible person who seems to kill himself or maybe accidentally falls and seems to blame her for it, and she has all this guilt, right? Yes. And yes. when she the, gets they, there... The, yes, the husband figure is basically presented as a classic abuser type. Yes. And the, is scripted as such. Yes. Uh, their dialogue is really In a what, very what you would expect from an abusive situation, and she is the victim of the abuse. In a very red sunset apartment yes. building. Yes. Um, very pretty movie. Uh, the uh, the the summer uh, the country home that she goes to is very very nice, mm -hmm. um, and there she is greeted by Joffrey, who is this kind of goofy. I love Joffrey, who's this goofy, vaguely menacing uh, homeowner, who is played by that actor, Rory Kinnear. Rory, <laughs> sorry, Rory, Rory Kinnear who is channeling an Avengers character circa, you know, 60s British television. And he is this goofy, bumbling guy. And then you come to realize that every man, man is a man that is him in this town that she has found herself yes. in. Yes. So there are only, there are actually, yeah, two women and two men cast in the movie. It's yes. Jesse Buckley no, as three women. lead. Is it, oh, yeah, that's, that's true. Sorry, it's three. Woman. It's Jessie Buckley. She's got a friend who is American for some reason, North American. Maybe she's yes. Canadian. Uh, we'll give her that credit. Um, who she calls and to sort of check in. Um, I'm, I'm at the house and look at the house. And, you know, she does this. Stuff. And so she checks in with the American friend on the phone. And then there's one woman cop we see at roughly the midpoint of yes. the film who does not appear again. So there is this nod to some sort of world beyond the yes. house and its immediate environs. But yes, all of the men in the film, all of the different figures, are either the husband, who shows up mostly in flashback. I'm not going to give away the full ending, but anyway, he shows up mostly in flashback, and then Rory Kinnear in various guises, including yes. um, the owner of this house, a cop, um, a kid. A bartender. A bartender. A priest, vicar, vicar. Mm -hmm. vicar okay, um, and um, and tree other man. A, a strange tree man <laughs> who is apparently, as David Borwell points out, uh, referencing yes. this sort of pagan history, and so we do get this sort of blend of you know this rural Christian again. We've got the vicar characters yes. and the Adam and Eve imagery and all this she sort eats of an apple. mythologies of of Christianity kind of 
tacked on to these pagan objects and figures like um you know boardwell calls it the green man yes. who is made literal in one of rory kinnear's performances and also this figure which is not made literal but is repeated visually many times of the shield and a gig mm-hmm. which you can which I, I i googled for you wickham yes <laughs> you can pull that up on Wikipedia. i thought that was some sort of construction for the movie no it wasn't it yeah no the shield and a gig is a real thing and i cannot explain how i knew about the shield and the gigs except that it's going into our shared irish heritage mr flanagan um well it's something i feel like i've avoided it's i guess i didn't go to i didn't go to many <laughs> oh. churches i've been to ireland i didn't go into many churches yeah, and, and apparently this is something that kind of is is actually coexisting with a lot of the the churches and things. That there's there, a, there's there are a these nice... pagan images built in, literally built into churches around England and especially Ireland, but this is set in England. I yeah, guess. somewhere. Um, there's a yeah. nice moment where she looks at the Sheila gig and then she looks up at the stained glass window mm-hmm. and you see all the sort of biblical figures. So I was sort of like, okay, are they connected? Is is this a, a, a new intrusive? paganistic thing in this church that doesn't meld with the kind of beautiful stained glass thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly drawing those connections, as you said, between paganism and sort of Christianity. Um, I, so what, what I think is interesting about men and what I think is worth discussing about men is that ultimately it fails. It fails at what it's trying to do, which is to be both an effective horror film and also it's some sort of, dialogue about the nature of kind of male oppression or or the, the toxic relationships or women you know experiencing the tra- trauma of that um and sort of how they see the world or how women see men or men and women being part of the same coin but then opposing each other i, I don't really understand what it's trying to say other than as you put it uh, all men equal yep. bad. Yes, all men. Uh, yes, all men. <laughs> to, um, to take the, the, the Me Too slogan. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically it, all yeah. you get, but it is executed with so much intentionality. Mm-hmm. There is so much attention to detail. There is so much interesting choices right from the get-go where Jesse Buckley seems to react to the non-diegetic music which doesn't make any sense. No. And it's it's these types of things that as an audience member, as someone who is savvy, speaking, uh, I'm relatively savvy at watching a lot of things, <laughs> as most people are, um, just being able to be like, what does this mean? What does that mean? What does this thing? And then by the end, you're like, I guess nothing and everything. Yeah. It, it feels like this kind of just art house, whatever, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not super, I don't, I don't lose pleasure thinking about it because I'm constantly trying to prescribe meaning to these intentional choices being made. Yeah. And even though it doesn't add up to much, it's still cool that there is a surreal, you know, toxic masculinity movie that has a lot of interesting choices to think about even if it doesn't add up to a movie that says anything particularly new or interesting yeah i think the failure really lies with her characterization yes because i think that it 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 says something when you know you've got these different flavors of toxic masculinity and there's something surreal about all of it and you can't quite put all of it together but she uh harper is just such a nothing burger of a character She is um, so and she doesn't determined. respond in any yeah. sort of believable way. And I am not asking that she goes, you know, full 
um, Shelley Duvall in The Shining <laughs> against these uh, increasingly menacing foes. But at the same time, like she keeps leaving this house when there's she knows there's something threatening her outside this house, and she just wanders out into the garden without closing the door behind her, without guarding her back, without grabbing the knife that's established as being in the kitchen. It just, like, she doesn't behave in a way that any woman growing up in the society right. learns how to behave in order to protect herself from uh, the, the worst parts of this toxicity. Because it's, it's difficult to know what is real and, and, and that's, what isn't. that's the thing. I mean, uh, but I think the, I, I will say I've only read male critics about this movie. I've, I've read some female critics. They're okay. pretty, pretty meh. I it. mean, yeah, there, there's a lot to be meh about, but, yes. but I think the, the, the critics that I've read are, are willing to give that maybe some of this is in her head Yes, and to pin the surreality of it on her. And I think that does the film a disservice. Yes. I think that she as a character, I mean, I think this is, this is not Jesse Buckley's performance. I think this is Alex Garland's vision for it. I think she yeah. needed to be a more realistic character in and just key have ways. more characteristics or just you know, to behave in a way that that resonates with the female experience yes. because she i mean uh, you know as a victim of abuse and the way that that you know that very boilerplate sort of abusive relationship plays out she does things that are understandable and she behaves and, and reacts in ways that are understandable but i mean once she gets to this house yes strange things starts start to happen but there are ways to respond to those strange things that would underscore threat yeah. and response and it's in not a much that, more meaningful way. And it's not that she even doesn't do that at some points in the movie. Like when she, the, the highlight of the movie is the tunnel sequence where they have the person running after, running after her in the tunnel. Um, and she sort of responds by running away. And then there's, she's in this kind of very um, kind of valley. I don't know how you would describe it. Path. And there's these sharp sort of hills on either side, and she's going along the path, and then she reaches a dead end, and she sort of grumpily looks behind her like, oh, God, this thing is chasing me, and she just makes her own path up the hill. That felt like a very sort of, like, my point is in, like, a typical horror movie, she would be like, oh, no, how do I, like, it would be this kind of classic, like, I don't, how do I get out of this situation? Oh, I tripped. Oh, no, raise the tension. But she's just sort of very matter-of-factly is like, I'm just going to forge my own path and go up this damn hill, and it's going to be uncomfortable for a bit, but I'm going to avoid this thing that's behind me. And then she decides to take some photos of a nice house after that point because she's like, okay, yeah. it's been resolved. My point is that moment felt fairly real, and then, but then, yeah, at a certain point, you don't know what's real and what's fantasy. It boils down to a very basic home invasion thing where she's in a house and things are trying to get her, and you don't know if they're all in her head. And it's one of those classic things where once you don't really understand what the stakes are or what harm could actually befall her or what is really going on in a very fundamental sense, the you, you don't care. You don't really care about her. You don't really care about her predicament. Um, it's You really do need those sense of, of stakes, even if it is something inherently psychological. I'm doing a piece on repulsion now. Repulsion is so clear about what is real and what isn't. Mm -hmm. The real people are always real. Yes. The shadow people are always shadow people. And there is no discrepancy. And you understand the threat from both of them. Right. And men just sort of just mixes it all together into this weird metaphorical soup that 
ultimately doesn't mean much. I, I hope Alex Garland uh, directs more. I, I he, he said that he likes messing with an audience and that with men he he bordered on pathological. I'm paraphrasing him. Like he, he felt bad about how he was just trying to be weird for the sake of it, seemingly. Um, but I do think Men is one of those movies that it's, it's flawed ambition, at least for me. I understand why a lot of people would hate it. Um, but that's where we get to Southland Tales, right? Oh, well. Flawed ambition. Oof. Richard Kelly's Richard Kelly. magnum opus yep. follow-up to Donnie Darko yeah. about a bunch of stuff. And let's, let's be fair, fair. Donnie Darko also kind of doesn't make sense. And you could go again, around in circles what again is and real again. and what, what isn't, isn't yeah. is very pretty well established. Ooh. Frank is usually <laughs> not real. <laughs> you, see, there you go. <laughs> I, we are not... We're not making this a Donnie Darko podcast. Well, he's a he's a normal high school kid for the majority of it, so you understand at least where it's grounded. Southland Tales is a whole other thing. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> Southland Tales. There's no summary that will do it justice. Yeah, we were trying to describe it to each other. It's like Sean William Scott on a telephone yeah. booth and it explodes, and, and The Rock the is Rock. somehow, and Sarah Michelle Gellar. Yeah. And anyway, it's just actors. We're just listing actors. And Sherry O'Terry, of all people. Justin Timberlake does a musical number to a killer song in yeah, a, it, in a yeah. ski ball arcade. It's that just felt like a Mad Libs uh, <laughs> sentence. Yeah. Point Any, being. Point being. I, I I personally appreciate flawed ambition, and I think for anyone who appreciates ambitious, weird movies, will probably get something out of either technically or otherwise from men. But it, it just, it's, it's interestingly bad. And, and I find that to be more compelling than something that's just mediocre or just fine. Like I'm thinking about men more than I'm thinking about Top Gun Maverick. Oh, example. yeah, I think for sure. Um, I don't know in a good or bad way, mm -hmm. um, but I'm at least engaging with it. Yeah. And so um, that's why I wanted to recommend it. I appreciate you taking the plunge on what I knew would probably not be a very good movie for you. <laughs> Um, yeah. but at least I knew yeah. that. I feel like I know you well enough now, Colleen, to know <laughs> that you probably wouldn't like men. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but yeah, but I appreciate it. I appreciate the sea beast. It's nice to finally re-record. Yeah. Yes. In, in a sweltering, uh, basement, uh, somewhere unbeknownst <laughs> to everyone. Yeah. Um, can uh, I give a couple, uh, shout outs to the other things that I've seen? Yeah, sure. I made a list. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you have a list. Uh, yeah, no, I have a. I have ha one have movie in list. particular. You have one in particular. Yeah. Um, I've I've watched more movies than I thought. I, you know, we, we talked about doing a summer yeah. rundown. I thought, well, I haven't watched anything except I went to the theater that once for Top Gun. But no, actually, I, I, I when I made the list, I, there was there were things I remembered. I watched this movie called Toscana on Netflix, um, which is a Netflix movie, giant shrug. But it it ended in a way I did not expect. Um, it's a Danish restaurateur who comes to his father's estate in Italy. And it gave off real vibes of um, A Good Year, which I think is a Ridley Scott movie, if I'm not mistaken. Who has brought up A Good Year uh, since that came out? Uh, nobody. But Toscana <laughs> is kind of like a, a different oh. cultural, like the vibe is very similar, but wonderful Italian landscapes. Okay, and, okay. And, you know, fine. Very picturesque. Very yeah. picturesque, yeah. Um, I watched The Lost Daughter, which I'm catching uh -huh, up on. This. Yes. That was wonderful. Really Maggie quite Gyllenhaal, good. right? 
um, Maggie Gyllenhaal directed. Uh, yes, Olivia Colman yes. is the lead. Um, but it has a lot of really interesting things to say about motherhood, and that might end up being an episode at some point. Okay. I really enjoyed The Lost Daughter. Um, uh, I watched Spencer after we talked about oh. Case Stew. Um, good for you. How, yeah. was, how was that? Um, it was it was good. I mean, it, she's great. She's great. I mean, I'm I'm so not invested in royals at all <laughs> that. That, you know, it's just, I, I'm there because I wanted to see that performance. And, and she was good. She was good. Yeah. Yeah. Just totally unimpeachable. Um, watched a bunch of stuff. I watched a couple, two movies on the plane, um, two and from the States. Soul from Pixar. Yes. Which was better than I thought it was going to be. I watched it sort of out why, of morbid why did you curiosity. Think it would be because it got reviews that didn't give it a whole lot of credit, I thought. and But I, I watched it. I, I thought it was, it was very good. enjoyable. Um, I watched The Eternals, which was not good. Um, but Speak I think, for yourself. I think Chloe Zhao did interesting things with material I know nothing about. It's Let's... fun to watch a boring and pretentious Marvel movie that doesn't care about pandering to its audience. It and really doesn't, what, yeah. And that's what I liked about it. There were some good performances there, yes. too. I think Angelina Jolie had a character that she did uh, yes. did quite a bit with, given the circumstances. Um, <laughs> was it a good movie? It was not. Um, Spe- I, but... I, I will go on record. I like Eternals. Oh, okay. All right. Um, at the drive-in theater in um, rural rural home state, um, I saw Minions: The Rise of Gru, with basically no sound. We couldn't we couldn't get the radio to work in the car. Well, it's basically um, a silent movie anyway. But uh, but that was my point. Yeah, Ultimately, yeah. you don't actually need the sound. That was what was interesting. As an experiment in visual storytelling, boy, <laughs> it just nails everything it needs to. You actually don't need to listen at all to The Rise of Gru. <laughs> Um, you don't need to see it either, but it was okay. the drive-in. The drive-in is always fun as, a, as, a, as an experience. Run, don't walk to see Minions, Rise of Gru. Well, uh, I saw Pig, which has been renamed The Truffle Hunter for some markets. Yeah. This is the I Nicolas saw. Cage movie with a pig. That was good. Enough said. Enough said, yeah. And so. Um, and you saw Mandy. And I saw Mandy, yes. Moving on to my movie selections, my movie Turkey selections, there's a whole list of those. My Mandy God. completes my diptych for, um, um, yes, for Nicolas Cage, both of which were great. I would Yes, Mandy both and of them. Pig are like good recent Nick Cage. Like he's really using his, his range and his. Yeah. Effectively. And, and they are definitely different movies. Yes. Um, Beyond that, I watched Charade at your suggestion. It was on Mubi. The uh, Cary Grant one? Yes, the Cary Grant and oh. um, Hepburn, Audrey the, Hepburn. The, my, one of my favorite movie quotes. It's, it was lovely. One of my I, favorite I, movie quotes. You know what's wrong with you? Nothing. <laughs> that's, one of, that's one of my favorite movie quotes. You're such a romantic. Uh, I, it's, it's a bad, it, it is a questionable, it's not bad, it's a questionable Hitchcock ripoff, but it is... It is mostly thanks to Audrey Hepburn and Cary yeah, Grant and that it's, it works. it's very effective. Yes. Yeah. Um, I watched Playtime, kind of from the same era. Ooh, for the first time? Bolstering my Tati. Yes, I've seen other Tati, but this is the Ooh, first time I've seen Playtime. How was Playtime? It's, uh, it's, it's kind of boring, but it's very yeah, it's, visual. It's, yeah, I, I think it, the pacing is not yes. uh, up to contemporary standards, but the concept is really strong, as, as is all Tati. Uh, I watched The Farewell, Lulu Wang's... Uh, film, which also did not end as I expected it. I expected a sob fest, and it was much more optimistic than I thought it was going to be. That was a delight. I don't know what um, you're talking about? At this point. I watched Drive My Car. Yes, this Japanese film that has taken you know, yes. the cinephile world absolutely by storm. So deservedly, I could go on about this. Okay, well, um, I will. Drive My Car was fantastic. It is three hours long. It is a commitment. I well, I started it thinking I'll stop this at some point and go to bed. 
No, listener, I stayed up until past 1 a.m. finishing drive my car because there was no way to turn back. There was no way to pause it. I had to see how this turned out. It was fantastic. Aside from Rise of Gru, would that be the film that you would recommend the most? (laughs) I would say yes. If you watch one of these, it's Drive My Car. But another one that I saw on Mubi, because it was on Mubi, um, directed by Lee Isaac Chung, this is his first feature called Munyurangabo, um, which is set in Rwanda and is um, the first film feature film ever made in the native Rwandan language. And it was, it was very well done. I mean, the guy maxed out a credit card. It's obvious. Like, that's about the budget that, that this film is. But it, it shows what you can do with film as a storytelling medium, um, just with the will to go and do it. So all hail Lee Isaac Chung um, and his first feature film. All hail Mubi Turkiye for bringing this to curious yeah, viewers. Yeah, I've not been on Mubi it's, yet. I've been oh, on man. Disney Plus. Oh, uh, well, yeah, I, I, I boarded that train <laughs> once we got back. I felt ashamed um, that I did that. No, but, uh, I, 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 it's, it's inevitable. We have children. <laughs> yes. This is, this is the only way we survive. Can I give my, my short list? Yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of Disney Plus and Case Stu, though you mentioned her a while back, I watched Underwater, where she, oh. where she fights Cthulhu. Um, and it's, it's not, it's, it's okay. If you're, if you want some no frills alien knockoff with case two underwater, it's not bad. Uh, but I don't know if I can say much more than that. It's a lot of murky underwater CGI, which is kind of, hasn't aged very well. Um, that's one of the Fox 20th century Fox casualties. Mm, Um, okay. I saw the big film that I saw. So two, two really impressive things. I, I watched a bit of Irma Vep. Uh, well, the series, the series, yeah. while in the states, and I can—I have not finished it, but because uh, I, I had to leave, but I can attest to it being rather, very, very good. I'm dying to watch that. Um, a delightfully cheeky examination of film production. It, it does feel like a pretty much a like a straightforward remake. I mean, it's following a lot of the same plot points, but it's Alicia Vikander this time, and she's bringing this kind of very Casey-like presence. Because mm. um, Isaias, right? Isaias. Uh, is, is seemingly very familiar with how Case 2 dresses and... Well, he's directed her exactly. a couple so times. Alicia Vikander is doing her, basically. Mm-hmm. But she's like, was in a superhero movie, and now they want her to be like a female silver surfer. So there, there's a lot of great kind of fun film commentary, and it's fun to watch him uh, take jabs at that. Um, I, the big film that I watched, though, that I would highly recommend, one of my probably my favorite film of last year because it came out last year, is Nightmare Alley hmm. by Guillermo del Toro. I'm a, I'm a big sucker for Guillermo del Toro. I'm a big sucker for film noir. And uh, what my two cents on it is Guillermo del Toro is a very visual filmmaker, but he often feels very confined by his stories and not necessarily in a good way where... He has these narratives that have these very specific beats that he needs to follow. And the visuals maybe can kind of feel maybe truncated compared to the plots that he's telling. I remember Shape of Water being a lovely movie, but I kind of wanted to soak in it, no pun intended. I wanted to soak in the shape of the water uh-huh. a little bit more. And I, I, I wasn't, couldn't really do that, but maybe I need to rewatch it. But you soak in the Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley is all kind of grotesque carnivals and art deco uh, psychologist offices and Kate Blanchett <laughs> is an awesome femme fatale and it's delightful. It's, it's a really fun kind of pulpy noir and it's two and a half hours. It's also a bit long, yeah. but if you like pulpy noir, it's pretty good. 
And then other than that, uh, yeah, that's a lot to chew on. Thor four, which is yeah. terrible. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. Okay. Sentimental garbage. Uh, but, Christian oh. Christian Bale as a, a Voldemort cosplayer. I don't need see to. that sells it to me. He's one of the highlights. <laughs> okay. Uh, Russell Crowe as a campy Zeus is also one of the oh, highlights. Oh man! So it's I, a, it's a movie of moments, is what you're saying. Yeah. And it doesn't really. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's anyway. It's not, it's not, it, it, you feel like everyone's bored while they're making it. Taiko Atiti, especially, but who well. knows? Anyway, uh, thank you, Colleen. Yes, thank you, Wickham. We've got, um, uh, we're going to have another good season of actual planned episodes coming. So I look forward to yes. recording again uh, once the. We'll see how this recording turned out. Yeah. <laughs> How's it looking? Is it I looking see. good? Hey. Thank you. Um, That is our episode. Yes. You Made Me Watch That is a production of the Department of Communication and Design at Buchent University. You can support the podcast by subscribing with your favorite audio app and by following the Buchent Cinema Society on Instagram at Buchent Cinema, all one word. Our cover art was designed by Denis Vaditongor. Our theme music was composed by Dazi Azovsky, who you can follow on Instagram and Spotify. And make sure to check out his latest releases. Um, this episode was produced by Tylan Akul at the Bielkent Cinema Society and recorded by Asya, what's your last name? Tulu. Tulu. Thank you, Asya, yes. for yes. helping out yes. on this fine day. And uh, thank you to you, Wickham. And <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> well, <laughs> you, you, you get to be the tech wrangler since Uzjan is yes, on leave. Yes, slightly. Yes, yes Uzjan Abi, we hope you're having a wonderful vacation. Yes, a much-deserved vacation. Yes. Um, do you have any special thanks for us? Oh, I would just like to give a special thanks to um, to David Lynch because it's been a long time, and I think about him often, and um, I, uh, I, I've, I've been doing impressions of him to amuse my, my wife recently, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, just for fun. No, no, no real reason. She just wants me to say random things as David Lynch. She uh, asks you to do this? Yeah. Keep in mind, she married me, Colleen, <laughs> so she can tolerate some level of weirdness. Also, I do Joffrey impressions around the house for men. She can blink twice on a video call. Just I'll come there. and get her. There's the pub. 10-minute walk there, 30-minute walk back. Thank you, Wickham. <laughs> Thank you, Colleen.